Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Hallelujah, praise God. The ninth chapter of Luke. In the 18th verse, we're given an account where Jesus is praying in a quiet place with his disciples nearby. He was praying. Jesus was praying. I have studied the prayer life of the Son of God. I, I find it so amazing. And I think for me it has been the standard of my life of prayer. Many people read Jesus was praying, but many people do not follow the accounts that happen after Jesus has been praying. Always follow the scriptures and see wherever Jesus had prayed and separated himself in prayer. And see the events that come after and the revelation thereof. Some of you will get the understanding of why we really pray. Praise God. But on one of those accounts, the Bible says Jesus is praying in a quiet place and these disciples come. And he asks them, who do men say I am? Some are convinced that you're prophet Jonah who has returned and others say you're Elijah. Perhaps one of the Jewish prophets brought back from the dead. And Jesus asked them, but who do you think I am? You know the story. And Peter said, you are the anointed one of God, the Christ of God, the Messiah. You're God's Messiah. And Jesus says, flesh and blood reveal this not unto you, but the Father which is in heaven. Now he says something in 21. And he said, the Son of Man, right? Um, he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that sin. Hallelujah. And the next verse said, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised on the third day. Jesus tells them, you know what? I'm going to die. I'm going to be abandoned, betrayed by the chief priests. I'm going to be abandoned and betrayed by the scribes. I'm going to be abandoned and betrayed by the priests of the time, the elders, and I will be slain and raised on the third day. So not only does God, Jesus, talk to them about the place and spirit of revelation as of it was revealed to Peter, when he says, flesh and blood reveal this not unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. But there was also a very deep signification of Jesus' death and how he was going to die and how he was going to be betrayed by those he loved. Praise God. And came to die for. Jesus tells us, when they get the revelation that he is the Messiah, right? He is the anointed one of God. Immediately, he tells them, look, I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priests, the scribes. I'm going to be betrayed by those that I love. And I'm going to be slain and raised on the third day. So he gives them two revelations. One, that the foundation of the church is based on the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ as he's revealed by the Father. But now he tells them the end line of his story, which is that he must die and he shall be raised on the third day. Now, when that happens, 
We go to verses 28. Eight days later, after, eight days later, the Bible says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and climbed a high mountain to pray. He took Peter, James, and John on a high mountain to pray. Praise God. And as he prayed, the Bible says his face began to glow. His face began to, to shine. His, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And the next verse says, And as he prayed, and behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, or Elias. And the Bible says, Who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Right? This is interesting. Jesus has told them, I'm going to die going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed under the hands of those that I have come for, the religious scribe and priest and the people of that time. And on the third day, I'll be raised. A couple of days later, Jesus is praying. He takes Peter, James, and John on a mountain and they say, let's go and pray. When they go to pray, Jesus' countenance, the face, the fashion of his countenance changes. When the fashion of his countenance changes and it's altered, his raiment is white and it's glittering. He, his clothes even change shape and color. Sorry, color. They change color and form because they are white. And the scriptures tell us, behold, they talked with him two men. That means two men appear talking with him. That is Elijah, Elias, and Moses. And the Bible says, and they're talking to him matters pertaining his death. The New Living Translation of that, that verse, that very particular verse. These two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. And the next verse says, And they were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah, during that same time, Moses and Elijah appeared talking with Jesus about his exodus from the earth that was going to take place in Jerusalem. He has prophesied it. The beings of heaven have appeared to him and they're discussing details. They are having a very interesting conversation between the two concerning his death, his resurrection, and how it's going to be. They are not come down to instruct him. I believe that they have come down to enjoy a personal conversation with the Christ pertaining that matter. The Bible speaks of the righteousness of God. You remember? And when the Bible speaks of the righteousness of God, the Bible says it is witnessed by the law and the prophets. You hear that? Moses, a representation of the law, and Elijah, the prophets. They are witness to the righteousness of God without the law. They are witnesses of the righteousness of God without the law. Why do we see these two same figures? That is the law representing Moses. And we see Elijah, which is a representative of the prophets. And these are the same two people discussing with our Lord the details of his death and resurrection. There is a deeper revelation in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in reconciling the doctrine of grace and the law versus grace. There's something so deep there. Moses and Elijah were a witness to represent the law, its power, its mind, its understanding. 
versus Elijah representing the prophets and the understanding how the prophetic in the end of the day feeds into the person of Jesus Christ, the death and his resurrection. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, the Bible says, then were of all men what? Most deceived. If we do not believe in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we are of all men most deceived. But we go back to history and see that the prophets were all prophesying that particular day. We go back to history and see that the law worked for that day. And it was through that as I was praying in my room and as, you know, with God, just that place of conversation. And it's almost as though it was as physical as I can tell you that I could feel their presence. I could see the event. My spirit was driven to that particular moment in time. And I could pick what Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. I could pick it. I felt it. I, I, could, I can interpret those words to the mature. And this is something I can also prove by scripture. Because the law and the prophets were a witness of the righteousness of God through faith. Somebody said hallelujah. Now, let's go back to the story. Now, when Moses and these appeared, they were speaking about his exodus from the world which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And the next verse says, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they awoke, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. And the next verse says, as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, they were starting to leave, that means they start to demise, right? Before their eyes, their presence is decimating. Peter is seeing it. Peter not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, he said, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Praise God. And the next verse says, but as even as he was saying this, a cloud came over them, and a terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And the next verse says, and then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Somebody shout hallelujah. Wow. Peter had missed something. And I believe Peter is a representation of the church. You remember how he is the rock and God tells him, Jesus, our son of God, tells him after that revelation that you are now Peter, meaning rock. And he says, on this foundation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Peter is a representation of the church. But sometimes also in scripture, he is a representation of the law. Sometimes. Why? Because as Corinthians tells us three, that the stone is a representation of the law. There are times in scripture where God speaks of the stone as the law. There, there are instances, when you're a reader of the Bible, you're going to realize there are instances where God says, Peter, James, and John. Right? That order is special. It's not just there. Peter, James, and John. In some versions, you see Peter, James, Peter, and John. And in some versions, you see Peter, James, and John. Are you hearing me? And in some versions, it's, I've not seen a John coming for James and Peter. I've only seen instances where James goes before Peter and John. And I've also seen instances where Peter goes before James and John. But the true order, the biggest number of scriptures I've seen, they are Peter, James, and John. Peter, a representation of the stone, which is the law. 
James, the whole story of Jacob. James is the, is the Hebrew name of Jacob. And Jacob uh, represents the supplanter. And John is Joshanan, which is grace, right? John represents grace. So it's Peter, James, and John. That means the law has been supplanted by grace. The law has been replaced by grace. Somebody shout hallelujah. We are in the dispensation where the law has been supplanted. Christ is the end of the law. And the beginning of what? Faith and to all that believe. He's that fulfillment of the law. Because the Bible tells us that the law is not of faith. Now, Peter says, let us erect a tent here. One for you. Give me the KJV. One for Elijah and one for Moses. Praise God. He says, let us make three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Peter was a man who loved God. Are you hearing me? He was a lover of Jesus. But Peter was not a lover in the revelation of Jesus. It's one thing to love God. But God wants you to fall in love, walk in love, in revelation of his love. Because he is love. Right? And he is the ultimate mystery all of us are progressively knowing in our mind. But advancively have known by the experience of the new creature that we are in Christ. Who has understood what I just said. Because of that. When we are saying we are speaking about Jesus Christ. The son of God dead and resurrected. The love of God and God is love. It's not enough simply to say somebody loves God. No, no, no. It's more than that. There has to be a revelation in what you call love. Because many people think they love, but yet they lust. And in the thought of love, they actually are lust. And they ask and receive not because they ask amiss, because whatever they are asking of God, they want to consume on their own personal lusts. Seller. Ponder on this. Think about it. Sometimes when you don't see answered prayer, there was a man one time who said, you know, uh, when, when, when you pray, some people think God doesn't answer no, but you see God's answers are three. He's either saying yes, he's either saying no, and he's either saying wait. But you see, that is not scripturally so. The Bible says for all things in Christ are yeah, and they are amen to the glory of God. Why is it that we have people who think that in Christ there is a nay? Paul says for the God Cephas, Peter, John, James, and I preached to you. In him there was no nay that Jesus we preached. He says in him there was no nay. The one Cephas knew. The one Peter spoke about. He says in him there was no nay. The one James spoke about and John. In him there was no nay. The one Peter preached about. In him there was no nay. So why does somebody say, oh, you can ask God. And sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says this. And sometimes he says, wait. No, no, no. You're saying that because you don't know the scriptures. God is not yet revealed to you. Somebody shout hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 1.19. He says, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by Silvanus, Timotheus, the rest, was not yea and nay, but in him was what? The one that was preached by these men, that one didn't have no. So when somebody starts to tell you of a God, Peter, James, Paul, Silvanus, Timotheus preached in whom was no nay, and then they start to tell you, you know what? 
God said nay, Jesus said nay, they're preaching another Jesus. The Jesus that was spoken of by this man never had a no in his conversations. So then why do people assume God has said no? Or why do we sometimes ask and it seems like he has said no? It is because we don't have a revelation of how to ask. It's not yet fully revealed to us on how the son of God works. And that is why when we labor to present Christ, the truth about this Jesus, many men cannot believe it. You know why? Because every time we preach him this way, he's too good for some people. Many believers in church, when you talk about this Jesus, hmm, sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, he's the lion, but he devours, he's tough, he's a fire, he can consume you, what? You understand? So many people have a very mixed understanding about this Jesus. Some think he's good, some think he's bad, some think he's moderate, some people think he's good when you do good and he's bad when you do bad. You have a wrong understanding of Jesus. That is not the Jesus Paul taught. That is not the Jesus James taught. That is not the Jesus Peter taught. That is not the Jesus Timothy has taught. Silvanus taught. Timothy thought. That's not the Jesus Apostle Grace preaches and any pastor in this ministry. For us, the one we know, he is good. The Bible calls him the high priest of God things to come. He is always living to fulfill goodness in your life. And your end is a success. That is the Jesus you and I know. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah to the glory of God. But you see, why is it that in this Christ there is a nay? Why is it that there is a nay in this Christ that we preach? And the answer is, it's because we have not yet understood the full revelation of this Christ. To the purpose and end of his, end of his mind as it is supposed to be understood by the mature in God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So even so, when we're dealing with the love of God, God is love and we understand him as God and God is love and love is God. Many people do not understand fully what it means to walk in love, to love God and to relate with him as the God of love and to relate with him as love. So we have very many mixed affairs about this Jesus. And because of that, we cannot get the fullness of him because we are confused in what we expect to receive in him and from him and through him. Are you following me? Peter loved Jesus, but he loved him without revelation. You remember the time when they come to circle the Christ? Peter loved him. What does he do? He gets a knife and gets to the face of the guys who want to attack Jesus. Everybody in the camp is defenseless. Nobody has a knife with them. But there's this fellow with a sword and he goes to a, a regiment of men. He goes to a group. Uh, uh, he goes to, to a bunch of soldiers and they are holding spears and all swords and shields and they are dressed in armory coming to take the son of God in shackles and he comes to them and he is alone but he is willing to cut off at least an ear says that they kill him. Peter loved Jesus more than many of the men who were with him. Who has understood what he has said? And Jesus tells Peter, much as you love me, you've loved me the wrong way. 
this is not what I expect you to do. I expect you to, to read these things. And he gets the ear, puts it back on the man. He that liveth by the sword shall die by the sword. He that killeth by the sword, he shall be slain again by the sword. You remember the first time he breaks it to these guys. Or one of those times he breaks it to these guys and tells them, look, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Peter was the first. He said, no, <laughs> boss, me, I go down with you. I go down with you. What does he tell him? Get thee behind me, Satan. For that word, suffers the things of man and not the things of God. You understand the things of man, but you don't understand the things of God. He rebuked the devil out of a man who appeared to love him. Sometimes we can have a very wrong understanding of love and yield to the highest level of demonic activity and Satan's mind on the lives of men and on the lives of the people that we live with and it appears like it is love. And sometimes again, that's why we struggle so much in the body of Christ, sometimes to explain to men some of these things because some people walk so out and opposite of love, but everything they do in their affair looks so much like love that you're so confused. And in the end, they reap a very demonic sour fruit. They reap a very, very demonic experience. A very ungodly thing comes out of what appeared to be love. Why? Because they don't understand that the love of God is in the revelation of his mind and purpose. You must understand the heart of God. You must understand his will. The mystery of his will. He has made known unto us the mystery of his will. But do you have the understanding of that knowledge? Because if you don't, you might do something that is out of line. Amazingly, this Peter, in his carnality, he's trying to refuse the son of God to fulfill his purpose on earth. In the name of love. Hello? Who is understanding what I'm saying? That is why some people cannot understand Paul when he says that some of them we handed over them for the torment of their bodies that their souls might be saved that day. It looks like the most unloving thing for an apostle to do to hand a man over to sickness so that man can die for his soul to be saved. And yet in there we don't see the Lord rebuking Paul. Who is understanding what I'm saying? We don't see the Lord rebuking Paul. Because Paul could by the spirit see the end of this man and he realizes that there's a seed that has sat in this gentleman and if he continues like that, he's going to wax evil upon evil and in the end, he's not only going to destroy himself, but he's going to destroy the rest. He has seen it by the spirit. So what does he do? He says, you know what, God? Let me hand this guy over to Satan. He becomes sick. And after becoming sick, right? In his sickness, he will repent. And in the repentance, you take him. So he does not destroy his soul, neither destroy many. And you know, people don't see love in there. They cannot see it. Again, this is not for a babe. This is not for, now all of you, all of those people who struggle, you say, now God, I have handed him over to Satan. That his body shall be what? His flesh is destructed, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That is a very high level of responsibility. It is not something a man treads in when he has not matured in God because the extreme line is either you're in the perfect will of God doing that or you're in the extreme sense of witchcraft exercising what you call godly instruction. And, and you know, again, I have struggled over this and I will tell you this. There are people who are convinced that God has spoken to them and he has not. We struggle with that thing every day. And someone can even 
kill you and die for it. Me one day somebody even cut for me a wire. Because they came and told me what God had told them and me God hadn't told me. The person cut for me a wire. You understand? How can God not tell you? I said, when I, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't hear God. So they cut for me a wire to what? Hey. One time one of them told me, you're not a man of God. The shepherd in you is dead. How can you not hear? You mean I'm leading men when I'm dead? And this cow woman, who is God, has not even won a soul the past four years. Me who is winning souls, I'm not hearing God. Aboruganda, calm down. Tell your neighbor, calm down, Aboruganda. Did you understand what I'm saying? Banange, stop making God speak. Or at least, if you've misfired, accept it, swallow your pill, take a glass of juice and say, Mokama, now I need to hear you. Because when God speaks, I have talked to you about the seven guiding lights of the spirit. They are very clear. How can you tell me that you have a witness of what another person doesn't have? Come on. The Bible says that the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word is established. Why is it that you're the one with a witness? Do you understand? Why is it that you're the one with a witness and the other others don't have a witness? You mean you're the one who hears God and the rest of us don't hear God? Ah, 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 ah. But do you understand what I'm saying? Stop making God speak. That's a tough price on your life. And you know when you want some, they don't listen. You know what happens? They get into familiar spirits. And the familiar spirit starts to mess up her life. And the next thing you know, she gets stuck. He gets stuck financially, physically. Everything in their life pauses. And they continue to think they're hearing God. Listen, the, every man who hears God has a progress in the spirit. I said every man who has heard the voice of God has a progress in the spirit. You're too stuck in your life that you need more help than the realms you're claiming to hear God into. You're skipping the basic lines. At least first eat food and put on nice clothes. Then say you're hearing God. But you're even sleeping hungry. But you're bringing me prophecies of what God has told you about how Apostle Asimaya is going to eat. Slow down. Let God first fix you. Then fix others. Hello? Are you hearing? God has to first fix you. Then you fix others. But ask him, God, eh, me those revelations. First come and fix me. Otherwise, I am dealing sometimes with people with familiar spirits. And do you know how I know that you're under a familiar spirit? You become angry. The spirit of God is love. Why is it that when I did not or somebody did not agree with your prophecy, you cut a wire? The thing on you. It's another thing. It's a familiar spirit. It's not God. God is love. God does not come out of his nature because a man does not agree with him. Can I say it again? God doesn't change nature because a man has not agreed with him. I saw a young man recently. I sat him down. I said, what's wrong with you? He told a young girl that she's supposed to for him is the husband of the young girl. And then the young girl told him, I haven't had God. The guy cut a wire for her. He cut a wire. I said, now you man, is that God in you? Examine yourself. How can you cut a wire? Because the woman hasn't had God. Because people have listened to familiar spirits and died. And died. 
People have listened to familiar spirits and entered cars they were not supposed to enter. And those cars crashed. People have listened to familiar spirits and entered relationships they were not supposed to enter and they were destroyed. People have entered familiar spirits and went into businesses they were not supposed to do and they were destroyed. Listen to people who hear God. Everything he does and says, the Bible says, is an expression of his love. Cut prophet or prophetess. When you start cutting wires because somebody hasn't heard what you've heard, you're under another spirit and you need deliverance. It depends on how much you love it. Because some people, you know, I learned this by the man of God, Kenneth Hagen. Kenneth taught one time and said, there are people who fall in love with familiar spirits. And until you reveal truth enough to them to hate these familiar spirits, they will forever make these familiar spirits speak through them and they'll be convinced that God did speak with them because they are so confused when it comes to the spectacular versus the supernatural. They think that because it is spectacular, therefore it's supernatural. The devil can appear as an angel himself to you. But when you see the vision of an angel, that does not necessarily mean that that must be an angel from God. No. Because you think that everything spectacular is supernatural and divine. No. The devil can cast a stupid and foolish vision on you. He did it to Eve. She saw that the tree was good. The fruit was good and able to make one wise. And then she ate it. But that is the reason why man is struggling with death up to now. And sickness being the perpetual line to death. It was because a man saw a wrong vision. And that man accepted it. And it destroyed humanity and the history like we know it. Now people die early. Because Eve had a wrong vision. Anyway. Peter is the one who with the wrong understanding of the mind of God. Wants to die for the son of God. I would rather die. Oh boss you are going to deny me. Why? Because the foundation which you are basing on to love me and to fight for me is not the revelation of my purpose and will on the earth. First understand the mind of God the Father, then you love me right. I'm not saying push me there. I'm only saying don't stop me. Because it was my purpose that I should go and that I should give room for you people. I'm fulfilling my will. And believe me, there are people who can love you out of the will and calling of God for your life. Be careful. When they express love to you. Be careful. Because some love is very deceptive. So it's the same thing. Peter is the example. He's the guy who's saying I'll die with you. Or you're going to deny me. He's the guy who gets to the guy and then simply sees this. And then cuts. The what? The guy's ear. Now again Peter is here. And this time he has misunderstood a very important principle. And point that I need to share with you today. What does Peter say? Peter tells Jesus, let us erect tabernacles, memorial tabernacles. One for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. What Peter misunderstood and what Peter did not actually see was that that day he had put Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the same level. Who has understood what I just said? Because if those people come and they see one tabernacle of the Christ, one tabernacle of Moses, one tabernacle of Elijah, what do they think? They think all of these men are three men of God, divinely ordained by God, and all of them are of the same purpose and will, same power and calling and, and understanding. And that is not so. What we see in the body of Christ today is we see Elijah, we see Moses, and we see Christ. Many people, without knowing, have pitched three tents. They've pitched three tents without knowing. 
they have Jesus here. They have the law here. And they have their prophet here. So if they can't go through Jesus, they'll go through the law. If they cannot go through the law, they'll seek for the prophet to speak a word. Because they think they are going to skip all the other principles of the person of Jesus. And some will be redeemed by the law. Or if not by the law, by the prophet. Some people have pitched Christ and the law. Some have pitched Christ and the prophets. Some have pitched Christ, the law, and the prophets. So, when you go on the altar, you either find Christ and the law, or you find Christ and the prophet, or you find Christ and the law and the prophet, or you find the law without Christ and the prophet, or you find the prophet without the law and Christ. It is like that. When Peter spoke those words, God said, I must make this personal. He put a cloud over them. He gathered everything that had to be and he opened his voice in a clear, loud voice. And he says, this is my son, my beloved son. Hear him. Immediately, Elijah and Moses disappeared. Come on, you can clap harder. Jesus stayed. He's not saying it's wrong to be a prophet. But the prophet points to Christ. Not himself. When the prophet stands on that altar and leaves that altar, men must say, Christ was there, not the prophet. When Moses is on the altar, Moses must point to Christ. The law was the schoolmaster that led us to Christ. The end and supreme being underlying and overlying above and not to be compared is Jesus Christ. The prophets are submitted to the person of Christ. The law is submitted to the person of Christ. That is why Paul says, when I was among you, I sought to know nothing and be acquainted of nothing, save Christ and him crucified. I'm not saying I'm against the prophetic ministry, the apostolic ministry, the teaching ministry. All of these things are supposed to be pointing to one man. Who is that? Jesus. But what took God himself to come from heaven and establish that truth by his own voice. It meant it was far more important than even Jesus speaking it. God the Father himself, there are very few times the heavens are open for God to speak himself. This is one of them. What took God to open heaven to say must be a very, 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 very fundamental truth. And that is why later in Galatians, the three men that had that voice, the Bible says they became the pillars of the New Testament church. Paul later says, Peter, that is Cephas, James, and John, which seemed to be pillars. Why were they pillars? Because they had the distinctive voice. Some people think it ended on the voice to be qualified as pillars. No, deeper than that, it was the revelation that came to their spirits when that voice came. 
That is why when you start reading the letters of Peter, the letters of James, the letters of John, more intricately than just looking out for a solution to get healed of flu, you will see very clearly that these men got the understanding of the person of Christ. Don't take the person of Christ lightly. Don't compare the person of Christ to anything. He's supreme and higher than anything and anybody in the history of the world. And that is the one that must be seen when we stand on that altar. And when we are long gone and have left that altar, men must say that every time this man stood on the pulpit, it was not him but Christ. Every time this woman began to worship, it was not her but Christ. But some of you add you and Christ. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, from the earth. Let me explain the mystery. The second Adam was formed from the earth. That means that if you separate me, right? If you separate me from anything that is born of flesh, I will draw men to myself. Don't ever communicate the end of Christ and somehow allude it to a physical body. This is flesh and blood. It cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But he says, if I be lifted from the earth, if I'm separated from that man that was hewn from the ground, I will draw men to myself as a minister, separate him from the man of the flesh. Appreciate that he was only in the flesh to bear your sins. Only, nothing more. Not to draw a monument of that body. That is why up to today, there is no such a thing as the body of what? God did not keep the body of Moses. God did not keep the body of Elijah. And he did not keep the body of the Christ. There is a reason. That's why he says we know no man after the flesh. Even the one we could have considered to know after the flesh. Christ. Now we henceforth know him not in the flesh. He knew how men think. If he had left Moses' body, which even Satan fought for, if he had left Elijah's body, if he had left Christ's body, those three bodies would have delivered a certain religion that was going to be so hard to counter when they have the form. Because there is a power also in keeping the artifact and element thereof. Do you know that the oldest, most accurate biblical script on the face of the earth is locked up in Russia? The oldest, most accurate biblical script in human history is kept by the Russians. They understand the principle. They are simply stewards. They are keeping it. They know by keeping it, there is something that will happen. He says there is a blessing that sits on Israel because they were stewards of the mystery. They were not instructors of the mystery. They were not deliverers of the mystery. They were not teachers of the mystery. They were not revealers of the mystery. But because they simply agreed. I've been to Israel, and I'll tell you this. The Israelites from back in the day always taught this one thing. Always pass the word on to your children. So in every generation... When children were born, 
They were given the Torah. That was a standard. Some of you read stories like people like the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? How did scriptures get in those guys' hands? Sons and daughters of Israel went there. And when they went there, they went with the holy book. Up to today, the olden cultures of the Israelis, the moment they are going to die, they get the Torah and get copies and give their sons. This is something they transfer to generations. And because of that, the Bible says, even without reading it, because they are stewards of the holy book, God has blessed them. Do you know people say that the Bible, eh, this book, eh, even when you, if you don't read it, it is useless. Let me tell you, a man with a Bible under his pillow is better than a man without it. Although a man with the word reading it cannot be, I'm not saying better. No, he's not even best. Cannot be compared to the man who either has it under the pillow who doesn't have it. There is no comparison whatsoever. Why? Because in these words, there is life. Somebody shout glory. glory. That was the problem with Peter. Peter wanted to equate the person of Christ with the prophets and the law, Moses. God came with that solemn rebuke to tell him never compare the prophets and the law to the Christ. They a witness. The law is a witness. The prophet is a witness. He's not the affirmation. He does not affirm the things of the spirit. When I flow in the prophetic, I'm not establishing something new. I'm not the author and finisher of your faith. I'm simply a confirmer. If I say I've seen sickness on you, come. I'm doing already what has happened in the spirit and ordained by God to take place. I'm not establishing something that is outside the mind of God concerning your affair. No. All of these things are in Christ and in him all things consist. Who is the fullness of all things. Because the fullness of God dwells in that person. Ladies and gentlemen. Let us exalt Christ above the law. And let us exalt Christ above the prophets. I'm a man of God. I hear God. I love God. I've healed the sick before you. I've prophesied before you. I've taught you Christ before you. But I did not shed my blood for you. And I can't die for you such that you, all your sins are forgiven. No. The shepherd lays down his life. Meaning that I would any day take a man's place because I love them with the very love of the revelation of Christ. But that is not what changes the life of the world. The one who shed his blood for the remission of our sins is different from the blood I will shed for a sheep. I can lay down my life for you. I could die for you. But I still will never take the place of the person of Jesus Christ. I can only claim him 
because he has said that I dwell in you and you are in me. Are you hearing me? We say we are Christ's beings or we are Christ's being simply because he is in us. On the exception of that, there is no way we can claim the person of Christ. That is why even in that fullness, when we say Christ in us, the hope of glory, we still worship him because we know it's a privilege to come in a human body. Never forget that. Praise God. And when you understand that, you realize that all the doctrines of the world are around that. Either men are preaching Moses and Christ or Moses and the prophet and Christ or Moses and the prophet or the prophet and Moses or the prophet without Moses or the Moses without Christ and the law and the prophets or Moses alone without any. I think Judaism is prophets and the law. Eh? And then you find people like Islam, which is really the prophets only. It's Moses Muhammad that's all there is no other you realize it starts to build around men no Christ is bigger he's bigger so even though we claim we are gods we are Christ beings because Christ is in us we are Christ on earth because he is, we are in the embodiment of him in us, his imbued, his person, his character, his nature, we will not forget the most important voice that spoke that day, that he is the beloved of the Lord and we listen to him. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's why doctrines in the world are flowing and they are all flowing because of that one thing. Men have failed to separate Moses, the prophets, and the Christ. And they're building tabernacles for those three. Build one, Christ. Praise God. And because it does not dwell in tabernacles made by human hands, he's saying, build you by reading the word of God, by yielding to the word of God, by allowing him to speak to you says that when a prophet comes, he's confirming what God has told you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, speak to Jesus. Speak to Jesus. Take a minute and talk to God. It's all about you. Jesus and all this is for you. It's for your glory and your fame. It's not about you. As if you should do things my way. You, my Lord of God, and I surrender. Speak in other tongues. To your will, demons tremble at your presence. What a mighty God we Everything 
that you came to dwell in us. Ooh. What a wonder. Thank you because in you we live, move and have our own being. Thank you because you dwell in us and it is well with us. It is well with our families, God. It is well with our health. It is well with our finances. It is well with our children. It is well with our vision. It is well with our calling. Why? Because you are in them. And you're high above the earth. Somebody give the Lord a man of praise. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've been mixing Moses and Christ, Moses and uh, prophets, you're going to repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me that you are the son of God who shed his blood for me. So tonight I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.